Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to the first of its kind. This is not a DeFi 2.0 panel. This is a DeFi 2.0 summit. David, what's the difference, man? A pa panel versus summit. What's different about this one? Uh, it's a simple math game, Ryan. Panels have three people, summits have five. Yeah, we have brought on five of the biggest minds out from the space of these next generation of DeFi apps. These DeFi apps that have really caught a lot of the energy, caught a lot of the excitement, and notably are not part of the DPI, which is uh, why my DPI bottom call has not done so well. Because if these tokens were in the DPI, it would be a different story. So that's we got the DeFi Pulse Index. It's a DeFi Pulse familiar, Index, which yeah. is supposed to track, which tracks like the top fifteen or twenty mm -hmm. or so DeFi projects. Uh, but this new cohort is not part. Of right. those because they're brand new projects. Yeah, it's a new cohort. New, new, new cohort. And uh, time uh, is not linear. Time goes in cycles. Time goes in generations. Uh, and this is kind of the gist that we're getting from this new cohort of DeFi apps. It's a new generation. There's a certain kind of disposition. There's a certain kind of construct. And so we're going to unpack what all of those things are with all five of these uh, different members from these different DeFi teams. So many of right these people ahead. have come on to the Bankless show before. Actually, I'm pretty sure every single person has been on Bankless before. Uh, we've got Jay, uh, Jay from, uh, from Rari Capital. We got Pat from Tracer. We got Scoopy Trooples from Alchemy. Carson from Tokamak, and of course, Zeus from Olympus Dow. So again, perhaps the most stacked panel that Bankless has ever come up with. Sorry, not panel, sir. This uh, is a summit. Summit, summit. not a yes, panel. Pardon me, pardon me. Absolutely. And this is like, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this because I, I want to hear what the panelists, uh, what the summiters, <laughs> what the summiters <laughs> think mm -hmm. of this entire term and how to define it because it mm -hmm. has been in Zika's like DeFi 2.0 is this just a new cohort. Uh, I mean, Scoopy Triple put out a thread and said mm -hmm. there are some patterns that are emerging around like token incentives. It's been a theme we've been uh, talking about on Bankless for, I guess, the past few weeks and into, into months. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of the, the culmination of the topic where we're assembling all of the Avengers to, uh, to talk about it together. So that's what we're about to do. David, before we get started, we have to let Bankless listeners know about something cool that's going on, and that is Dharma has moved to Polygon, okay? So Dharma is one of my favorite smart contract wallets. These guys make it super easy to go from bank account to bankless, right? So uh, you know the process of getting into crypto can be long and arduous, right? You connect your bank to get on a Coinbase or Gemini, and then you've somehow get the funds to MetaMask, and then there's gas fees involved, and you're, like, you're in DeFi seven, eight steps later. Dharma makes it super easy, particularly with uh, Polygon, their new Polygon integration. So you can go from bank account straight to token, straight to Polygon in like less than 10 minutes. Like That's how easy this experience is. And also, as a little cherry on top here, Dharma is offering bankless listeners, of which you are one, $50 in ETH when you try this out. ETH, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's your favorite money, David? That's my favorite like, money, yeah. There are rewards for using DeFi, guys, right? If, if, you if you don't know, now you know. Airdrops, rewards like this come all the time. Uh, so check this out. Click the link in the show notes. That will get you the code that you'll need to use to get this bankless deal on Dharma. Set that up on your mobile wallet as well. It's just a simple app. You're good to go. 10 minutes. Give it a try. 10 minutes uh, or less. It's a wormhole from your bank account into DeFi. All right, Ryan, I think we're ready to go ahead and get right into the show. And I've come up with a name for who these who these uh, people are. If you're if you're on a summit, you are a mountaineer. So we are going to get <laughs> into these five mountaineers who are exploring the frontier of DeFi 2.0 in just a moment after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. 
The era of proof of stake is upon us. Proof of stake systems like Ethereum, Terra, and Solana allow the industry to move away from the hot, loud, and wasteful proof of work systems and return back to a cottage industry of individual stakers and individual validators. And that is what we need to make this industry stay decentralized. Individuals must play their part in crypto network validation. And that is what Lido is here to do. Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof of stake systems and claim your share of the network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution for both. Simply go to lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake, and deposit them to the Lido validating network. Lido is working to make sure proof of stake stays as decentralized as possible and is committed to decentralizing its own validating network to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol and get liquidity on your stake, go to Lido.fi to get started. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with our mountaineers of DeFi 2.0. We got Jay on the left, Jay from Rari. We got Carson in the center, Carson from Tokamak. We got Scoopy on the right, Scoopy from Alchemix. We got Patrick in the top right corner, clocking in from Tracer Dow. And at last but not least, we got Zeus from Olympus Dow here on the bottom of the screen. Guys, thank you for all showing up for this fantastic DeFi 2.0 summit. Thanks to you all for being here. We are spanning the globe. We have the globe surrounded, uh, and we also have DeFi surrounded as well. So thank you guys for all showing up. All right, guys, uh, let's start with uh, Jay. Jay, since we I, I named you first, Jay, what the hell is DeFi 2.0 in your own words? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I feel like we see so many different definitions floating around. But I think to me, what DeFi 2.0 really represents is, is a movement beyond the traditional, right? I feel like DeFi 1.0 was about replicating what we saw in traditional finance, putting that into DeFi. And DeFi 2.0 was about shaping these, these products, even taking the 1.0s and thinking about them from a DeFi perspective. And what does that mean? And what are the innovations we see? It's thinking about liquidity differently, thinking about things like PCV and reserves in a totally different way. It's about thinking about all of these like tokenomics themselves, thinking about thinking about DeFi and all these products from first principles perspectives with DeFi notions in mind. 
Thank you for that, Jay. Jay, Jay and then turning into a Patrick from Tracer. Patrick, what do you what do you think about DeFi 2.0? What does DeFi 2.0 mean to you? Well, it's it's certainly not 1.0 and uh, not quite yet 3.0. So it's <laughs> somewhere in between the two. Um, I think one one signal of of what DeFi 2.0 has sort of evolved into is uh, the the fact that five of us are here on the call who are, who are each different contributors to different projects. Uh, there's an incredible social layer that's forming between different DAO communities. Um, and treasury interactions particularly as well. You've got sort of hundreds of millions of dollars uh, uh, within these DAO treasuries and, and you're now seeing incredible tools um, being produced by uh, protocol developers that are within this call that um, allow treasuries to, to, to utilize these funds and, and earn yields and interoperate amongst one another. Um, but as well as that, I, I suppose your 1.0, you had some pure primitives that were built with respect to lending, with respect to exchange, uh, a few derivative primitives. And um, I think DeFi 2.0, you're seeing native applications that are built plugging into some of those uh, core primitives that, that allow users to do um, really particular things. And, and I think Alchemix is, is an incredible example of, of something like that as well as, as, well as Tokamak. So um, yeah, I think that's probably a decent classification of, of what 2.0 could, could mean to me. Is what you're saying that DeFi 2.0 is just generally a lot more collaborative than the applications that we've seen previously? I think so, yeah. And I think there's also this element of permissionlessness as well um, with respect to like market creation. Uh, something that, that DeFi is is going to usher in is this Cambrian explosion of, of new markets uh, driven by like Oracle infrastructure as well as just innovative new um, algorithmic stable coins or, or, or any type of function that you can encode within these smart contracts. I think there's that element where developers can come in and leverage existing code bases to be creative and, and create new financial tools that, that, that produce value for the, for, the, uh, for the economy and ecosystem at large. Fantastic. Scoopy, turning to you next, what does DeFi 2.0 mean to you? Anything you want to add on to what Patrick and Jay had to say? I'm just going to be yeah, piggybacking on to them a little bit here. So I think it, to me, it represents three things. One is sort of like yeah, building on the previous layer of applications and having like uh, increased uh, composability and capital efficiency as a result of it. Um, you know, like Alchemics, how our deposits aren't doing anything or they're, they're not just, you know, sitting there, they're, they're going into urine and making yield, um, things like that. Um, uh, you know, Abracadabra does that as well. And I, I think you're seeing more and more like, uh, treasuries do this with their, their, uh, their assets as well is that they're, they're not, they're not leaving them idle. Um, so another thing I think is the liquidity dynamics for protocols, um, instead of relying uh, solely on yield farming, there are now like, uh, you know, alternative ways to source liquidity for your protocol, uh, whether that's through like Olympus Pro and, you know, uh, like an ownership model of liquidity or something more like a tokamak where it's a much more like efficient, like market driven, like rental of liquidity. Um, I think those are some some pretty big innovations uh, as far as the, the D5 2.0 stack. And then the other thing is like sort of like DAO treasuries um, becoming like firms in and of themselves, um, where they're not just like, you know, just sitting there, they're, they're doing things like um, you see a lot of them are now tapping into uh, the power of like rare refuse. Um, and they're, they're starting their own markets for their, their coins. And they're, they're kind of doing some really cool and innovative things, um, as a result of that. Um, and it's not just limited to that, but you know, there's lots of different things. Like if you look at Frax, like 
they have these algorithmic uh, market operators um, and they mint and, and burn the supply of fracks and put it into various markets. And then with that like uh, extra supply of fracks and the liquidity tokens, they go out and then they're farming with those and making more money for the protocol. And I think it's like just a really cool way to see you know, like DAOs evolve um, and becoming like active market participants and investors. I think that's pretty cool. Zeus, with everything that's been said so far, anything that these people have missed, anything you want to add on to the conversation of what DeFi 2.0 is? Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone's really like, you know, covered all the good stuff. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I think that like, you know, the, the 1.0 is these like crucial infrastructural uh, primitives that got built. And then, you know, th this new wave is kind of leveraging those um, kind of with this focus on like strong communities, building strong protocols, in my opinion. So it, it's a little bit less focused entirely on the user side of things and how do we get like, you know, people to come in here and use this and, you know, LP for it and whatever, and more on, you know, how do we build a strong protocol that has longevity and is going to like, you know, persist along with us. Um, one other thing that I, I think it kind of symbolizes the shift towards is, you know, along with that, this shift from like B2C models to B2B models where you're, uh, I think that we're going to see a lot more protocol to protocol uh, activity, whereas previously it was very constrained, I think, you know, on the most part for protocol to end user. Fantastic, Zeus. And Carson, last but not least, the uh, the hardest, hardest role of all, take, coming in, in last after everything's already been said. But Carson, what do you think about DeFi 2.0? Anything that these uh, fellow members of the uh, the summit has missed? Yeah, so I think everyone got it totally right. I would agree with everything that's said so far. Not surprising, given, given uh, who the cohort is within the summit. Um, but maybe just a couple of things to layer on. So I think of DeFi 2.0, not necessarily as something that is defined or not necessarily as a thing, but more a moment in time. Um, and I think then within that zeitgeist, um, there's there's certain sort of themes that you can come up with. And, and I would agree with everything that, that's been said so far. A few things to layer on would be, I consider DeFi 2.0 uh, at the moment sort of being the protocols that extend value or increase utility of other DAOs. So there's a sort of um, shift in mindset from how do we maximize the value internally just for my DAO into how do we unlock the most utility and value for other DAOs uh, and then indirectly or as a corollary from that uh, increase the value of our own. I think um, a lot of these things take DeFi 1.0 uh, primitives and, and build on top of them. And I think there's this strong kind of focus on uh, getting to sustainability. So really focusing on uh, the DAO as this living, breathing entity and how you can get to sort of a self-sustaining DAO moment. Uh, some of us call it singularity, but uh, again, a lot of this goes into a shift from, hey, it's not just thinking about TVL uh, or, or um, you know, basically rented liquidity into a, a platform, but rather what's, what are your protocol controlled assets or protocol uh, controlled value look like? Um, maybe two more things to say on this. I think uh, DeFi 1.0 was largely for users. I think DeFi 2.0 is largely for DAOs, um, not at the expense of the users, but DAOs are a significant user of De DeFi 2.0. Um, and I also think just the common theme here, the community was brought up, that's very strong. It's really all about collaboration and, and building bridges um, between protocols, uh, bet between DAOs. And I think we're gonna see that um, only uh, get more and more so as we go forward. Wow, Carson, rising to the challenge of taking the hardest spot with a fantastic answer. I, re I really like uh, everything you guys have said. And the gist I've gotten so far is that uh, it's all about collaboration and where DeFi 
1.0 didn't have a layer of DeFi to build upon, DeFi 2.0 does. And so DeFi 1.0 had to go after the users. That was the only thing. But DeFi 2.0 doesn't have to go after users. It now has DeFi 1.0 to actually go after. And in this era of, of, uh, of collaboration, it's also worth noting that a lot of the projects that each of you represent are integrated with other people's projects. Uh, and so I think there's just the, the collaboration is evidenced by uh, just the collaboration that we see on uh, here on this summit. Um, so uh, now I'm going to throw it to, to Ryan to take the next question. Yeah, so I, I guess maybe, and we'll start with Carson this time because I think that's only fair. Um, <laughs> but 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 actually, Carson, this this might be a trickier question because I want to take the the other side of this and ask this question, right? From from somebody who's a bit skeptical about DeFi 2.0, I really loved how you defined it as like, hey, maybe this is a, a moment of time. Maybe this is just about a, a generation of DeFi builders and kind of what they're doing at, at, at this point in time. But anytime we have a new generation of builders that are doing things differently, sometimes the previous generations raise some eyebrows, right? And they start to question because I think part of what DeFi 2.0 is doing is it's kind of questioning, or at least it is um, building with different assumptions than some of the blue chip DeFi 1.0 uh, assumptions have, have built on. Um, one of the charges or one of the criticisms to DeFi 2.0 is like, guys, you guys are playing with fire, some risk. Look, doing perpetuals uh, in what Patrick and Trace are doing in DeFi, that's kind of risky business. And we're talking, uh, you're talking, Scoopy, about like um, collaboration and capital efficiency and using all of the other uh, primitives. But doesn't that build compounding risk, right? Smart contract risk stacked on top of smart contract risk. And uh, Jay, Jay, talking about like permissionlessness, that, that sounds fantastic, but like Ave and Maker, right? There's a reason governance exists. And uh, that, that reason is kind of a check and balance to make sure that um, assets aren't getting deposited into these contracts that are, that are you know, uh, too risky, right? Or the entire system can collapse. So, uh, you know, I haven't even addressed you know, some, some of the other panelists, but let's talk <laughs> but about could. some of these, but I could, yes. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some of these, maybe these criticisms or, or even call them sort of trade-offs or some of these things warranted. Uh, what's your take, Carson, is like, you know, some people might go even as far as to say, hey, you know, DeFi 2.0 is not really a thing. It's just this new set of set of protocols that are taking, you know, new risks. And I, I, it's just an extension of DeFi. What are your take about what, what's your take on all of those things? We'll start with Carson. Yeah, I, I can jump in. So, and, and agreed, this is a good question and a tough question. Um, so I think, I think it's sort of a natural evolution. Like, I don't think there's anything, um, if you're playing, if you've been playing through, um, through the DeFi ecosystem over the last year or two, I don't think there's too much that's being built here that's overly surprising. Um, maybe the first time you hear it, but then I think kind of in retrospect, probably um, you know all five of the great projects that are represented on on this summit, um, like it, it just seems sort of obvious. Like, okay, yeah, that's smart. Now that doesn't mean that it doesn't introduce risk. To your point, I think I think the the uh, thing you have to weigh here is sort of what you unlock, and I'll, I'll maybe just talk. Uh, for one second on Tokmak only because that's the one, of course, I'm most familiar at. But I sort of think of DeFi 2.0 as a lot of these things, not, not in every case, this is, again, it's sort of undefinable, but in most of these cases, it's something that couldn't exist without the previous 
set of DeFi protocols. So in the case of Tokamak, if we, we are not an exchange, we don't want to be an exchange, um, there, it, there's always the underlying AMM. So at launch, it's SushiSwap, Uniswap, ZeroX, Balancer, and we'll be adding more over time. So you can really think of like a natural evolution of this was great. We have a decentralized Coinbase, right, which was Uniswap, SushiSwap. How do we have a decentralized jump trading? How do we have the decentralized uh, liquidity provider and market uh, market maker sort of be the, the thing that um, controls the flow and is sort of the puppeteer of liquidity into those venues. And so if you think about it like that, certainly this introduces um, sort of uh, risk up at that higher level, um, but you unlock a ton by sort of evolving beyond just, just being reliant on, on centralized um, uh, trading firms and market makers. And, and interestingly, they can still plug into this in a way that actually can help their business as well, which is too detailed for this discussion, I'm sure. But the point is, there's going to be risks at these higher levels. You still have the inherent risks of the under of sort of the underlying ones. And in some cases, you have what I'll call emergent phenomena risk or like integration risk with some of these things. But I actually think in general, that's not where most of the, the risk comes from. It's really trying to understand the inputs, outputs of each of these uh, protocols, whether it's at the DeFi 1.0 layer or 2.0 layer, um, and and just trying to mitigate those things. And, and absolutely, I think we probably need to get into a more advanced sort of system-based um, approach probably to um, audit and risk assessment um, that isn't just limited to a single protocol, but rather how it sort of in, uh, interacts with other protocols. So let's talk about that a bit more, and maybe I'll direct this to Scoopy, since you kind of brought up the idea of DeFi 2.0 being all about uh, composability. I, I remember back in the day, like a couple years ago, uh, anytime that David and I tried to uh, talk about money Legos in DeFi when everything was so early, right? We inevitably, you'd see a uh, maximalist meme of some sort saying, not money Legos, money Jenga, right? And they, they depict everything sort of, you know, falling down and, and tumbling in on itself. But but talk about this risk because we have talked about smart contract, uh, you know the, the the compounding risk of smart contracts stacked up uh, on top of smart contracts. So Scoopy, what's your take on that? Are we adding a whole bunch of risk into DeFi systemically by building on top of all of these um, these additional protocols? Well, I think that whole money Lango, Lego versus money uh, Jenga like comparison is very fair. And I think, you know, out there in DeFi, there are some money Legos that are very solid and secure. And there are some money Jengas, which might not be good things to build on top of. Um, and as far as like Alchemix goes, like the reason we, we, we were with Yearn, uh, why we chose Yearn is because they have a very good reputation. They have an amazing dev team and DevOps team, and they're there to support you and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and we, we could have gone with a different yield aggregator, but we chose Yearn because, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, the underlying stuff in Alchemix didn't break. Um, in Alchemix V2, we're going to be adding different strategies, different yield providers and stuff like that. But for every single strategy that we um, are going to be including, it's going to have to go through a very rigorous audit. Um, I know that if you incorporate, you know, yield bearing tokens from another protocol and you don't catch, you know, some little tiny detail in their code, then it could lead to some, you know, disastrous consequences. So as a result, we have to take a very, very security first, uh, you know, like approach when it comes to building uh, with these Lego blocks. Uh, so we can ensure that we build it intelligently so we don't have this, you know, this tower fall over and collapse on us. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's no getting around it. Like even with every single precaution and, you know, you know, you know, like putting in safeguards in your, in your DAP to, to mitigate any kind of, uh, you know, 
risk or disastrous effect, there is still going to be an increase of risk the higher you go up the stack. You know, that that's just a matter of fact. You know, if, you know, since we're building on die and then building on yearn and stuff like that. So like if something happens to die, like we're, you know, that's bad for us. If something happens to urine, that's bad for us. So, you know, it's, uh, it's it's about choosing the the best protocols to build with at that point to make sure that you're not you know going to you know make a a money jenga tower Jay, our, our, our summiters, our, our mountaineers so far have uh, kind of talked about the risks and definitely acknowledged uh, the risks but i think what they're also saying is the rewards exceed the risk the rewards of this innovation what we might find on the other side once we unlock these things what's your take on that do you think the rewards exceed the risk. Um, give us give us the pitch for these new methods. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I agree with everything that has been said so far. I think it's it's the cost of innovation, right? It's like DeFi 2.0 is moving at light speed compared to DeFi 1.0 for a variety of different reasons. A part of it is risk tolerance, right? We're able to ship contracts much faster. We're able to move much faster than a lot of these older projects. And yes, that means there is smart contract risk. Yes, that means that there is market risk, that there's risk of all sorts of factors. At the end of the day, it's what's gonna need to happen if we wanna innovate in this industry, right? Somebody's gonna need to be pushing the bounds, be pushing into these risky areas. And yes, people will lose money and that's gonna be extremely unfortunate. We need to do our best to educate users on the risks of these protocols. But at the end of the day, it's gonna be a small, a small blip in history compared to the innovation that's about to happen. Zeus, what would you add to uh, to all of this that's been said so far about kind of the the risk reward of DeFi 2.0? Yeah, I mean, I really just think it's in the nature of innovation that you know inherently, you know, uh, with innovation and you know the reward that comes with that, you have you know risks attached to it. I, I think a really important thing is just insulating as much of that risk as possible. So it, it's not generally the best case scenario that you can have is that something fails, but it doesn't affect anything else. If that's the case, then you as a depositor or a user of that, you know, you're hit, but you should have known the risk that you were taking on being involved in that. And no one else kind of gets hurt. I, I think that one of the actually like the really good things about DeFi is the fact that things can be very insulated. Um, so not always and generally, or definitely like, you know, die is one of them that, you know, is pretty entrenched kind of everywhere. But for, for a large part, you know, things stay pretty separate. Um, I also think that it's just kind of a matter of time when it comes to like these becoming new, uh, you know, building blocks is that, you know, we as an industry generally do take time to just wait and see, okay, is this thing going to fail? Um, I don't want to build on that as my own project if I think that it's going to fail or there's some high risk that it does, because then I'm also hurt. Um, and so, you know, this is the reason that we can look at a lot of these like 1.0 primitives and th like, you know, they're, they're safe or we have, have a collective belief that they are safe um, just because they've been around for a long time. They haven't failed. And that inspires confidence. Um, I, I think that that's generally the best way to mitigate risk is just to take it one step at a time and not rush into things, um, you know, let things kind of arise, observe them, make sure that they're safe and solid. And then you can start to utilize them and, you know, build up the stack. Patrick, I want you to weigh on in on this too. Um, obviously, perpetuals are a much more complicated, um, you know, pro protocol and in project than than many that that we've we've built in kind of the DeFi 1.0 world. Um, does that complexity weigh on you, or why is now the time to kind of lean into these more complex financial instruments in DeFi? Yeah, look, I think 
it's always been a fundamentally risk-taking uh, space since since its inception. Like the early uh, early Ethereum developers developing the first smart contracts, um, you, you saw what happened with the DAO um, and and everything in between. Now and then, there's continually been risk that's existed within within DeFi or, or Ethereum and, and, and the blockchain industry more generally. Um, but alongside that, you've seen incredible security auditing companies emerge alongside um, the, the growth of TVL. You've seen insurance protocols emerge to, to provide um, ERC-20 credit default swaps, like Risk Harbor, incredible incredible protocol. Shout out to them uh, who are supporting TraceDAO at the moment. And uh, with that, with those further steps and, and more energy and more attention within the space, um, to me at least, it doesn't feel like it's taking more risk than the first DAO smart contract developers were taking. Um, it's it's continually just building upon what we've got in terms of the foundation. And of course, there's going to be some some shoddier parts of the foundation that, that crumble as more pressures put on them, but continually over time, and, and this is why we're here, this movement will become more fundamental and, and, and the foundations will continue to build to provide um, financial, financial transaction support into the future. One of the favorite quotes that uh, I believe uh, Amin Soleimani, one of my heroes in this space, said about smart contracts risk is it's kind of like the steam engine. Uh, it blows up a bunch of times and then at some point we figure it out and it just works. Uh, and overall, DeFi has been blowing up less and less and less over time. Uh, and we've kind of been figuring out this whole smart contract thing. And maybe uh, hopefully in five, 10 years from now, we're just looking back on like, oh yeah, remember when we didn't know about how to do smart contracts? That was, that was a fun time when everything blew up on, along the way. So I want to move into uh, our next question here uh, and framing this question under Jeff Bezos's quote, uh, your margin is my opportunity. What about DeFi 1.0 has been left on the table that the project that you guys all represent has been able to grab? What did DeFi 1.0 not do that gives you room for you to build your DeFi 2.0 app? And we'll go in, a, in reverse this time and start with Patrick from Tracer. Uh, Patrick, how is Tracer, what, what did uh, Tracer grab that was on the table that DeFi 1.0 left? Yeah, so we're, we're probably an interesting hybrid between what you might consider a 1.0 primitive and, and 2.0. Um, trace it out right now with our perpetual pool contracts. Um, we're simply just leveraging Chainlink Oracle infrastructure and, and not interoperating with, with any other smart contract at the base layer uh, right now. Um, so I think for us, the, the opportunity and, and the opportunity that we've seized is um, in providing leveraged tokens for the DeFi economy. Uh, so we've got non-liquidatable um, leveraged tokens and perpetual pools enable you to not have to set up a margin account. It's a, it's a very simple experience for um, people that understand the concept of leverage, but but don't want to go through the complexity of trading a perpetual swap contract, can can mint a token and then utilize it within Uniswap, utilize it within other um, other DeFi primitives to, to trade these ERC-20. So um, this is... This is where we've uh, we've ventured into with with Tracer to, to start off, and uh, it's something we're continually excited about growing. Jay, let's turn to you. People often talk about Rari as a superset of Compound and Ave, where it doesn't actually formalize specific assets; it lets you do all of them. Is that what uh, what uh, uh, Rari has really brought brought taken from the table of DeFi 1.0, or what else is in addition to that? What else is there to say? Yeah, that's exactly it. I think that the big thing is before you had these token holders telling you what you can and can't borrow, which is just like the new version of banking regulation or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> permitting collateral, right? You have to go lobby to the token holders in the same way they have to go lobby to whoever it is in traditional finance. 
And we said, that's not fair. Let's enable any token as collateral. And you can pick who you want to govern your pool, right? If you want the Omis to govern your pool, you can have them govern your pool. If you trust Tetranode more, you can have him govern your pool and enable not only just the, the lending and borrowing of really any asset, but the, 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 administrative, the administrative controls to anybody who you are comfortable with. That's a pretty spicy take, Jay. I want to yeah. maybe dig into that for, yeah, for, for a second here. But like you were equating kind of like um, token holders, basically, and, you know, governance forms as another form of uh, gatekeeping for assets, right? And you, you think it's a more open world to to not have those gatekeepers in between, just let the market decide. That's what you're saying, exactly. right? Yeah, I mean, like, like how, how I'd like to think about it is before Uniswap, right? I feel like a lot of new entries have come into crypto. There was Radar Relay and IDEX, right? And Radar Relay had a permissioned listing of assets. And it was completely taken over by Uniswap because it was more efficient. You could have any assets you wanted. And I think we're seeing the same thing happen with Fuses is Compound and Aave. They're the Radar Relay, right? They're going to continue trying to iterate in the ways that they can. But it's like it's inevitable for the liquidity to migrate over to a product like Fuse. Do you think that's a th that's a that's a trend in general? Do you think that um, permissionless will always outcompete, you know, permissioned versions of the same thing? Or do you think do. it's it's going to happen more on the long tail? I think it will always win. The one exception being how institutions and regulation plays a role into it. And I think that's something that we're still seeing play out. Um, obviously, like Ave has their institutional product compound has theirs. Once once we start seeing usage, if we start seeing usage, then we'll know what what the play there is. But until then, why why bother? We'll focus on DeFi natives, the DGens, and everybody in between, and then we can worry about those guys. I know you didn't mean this, but I think this is hilarious that you called like a bajillion people inside of DeFi as the next bankers because they're gate the, the token holders <laughs> are gatekeeping the permissions. It's a, it's a great take, and it's a, I think it's it's one of those really nice takes that uh, it, it's jarring, right? And it actually makes people rethink about what it means to actually build a DeFi app. Um, great take, uh, Carson. Let's go to you. What about DeFi 1.0 was left on the table that Tokenmac was able to capture? Yep. Um, so uh, what I'll say that uh, DeFi 1.0 left on the table, they, they didn't have a choice in leaving it on the table. So the, the beautiful thing about DeFi 2.0 is we're past the bootstrapping phase. And what I mean by that is DeFi 1.0 was really bootstrapping users and bootstrapping capital. And all these different protocols um, that chose to use a token essentially separated users from their product with a token, which meant they lived and died by liquidity. What that meant was they needed to secure liquidity because our sort of thesis is that in Web3, value flow is replacing the data flow in Web2, and therefore liquidity is the, in the bandwidth of the system. So they needed to pay for that liquidity. And of course, that came via inflation. So these liquidity mining emissions um, is really the thing that we're tapping into um, with Tokamak. We, we realized that protocols need um, liquidity. It's not just about liquidity is not about traders and investors like it is in traditional finance. It's about users and protocols um, since, since different uh, tokens of value need to be swapped for others. And therefore, um, that was really the signal that we, we went after um, with Tokamak was how do we both increase liquidity um, within the ecosystem while at the same time reducing the cost to DAOs for securing that liquidity and in fact, even getting to a, an inversion of economics so that DAOs can actually earn while securing liquidity, really profit from their own uh, liquidity um, uh, as opposed to always be paying for it. This is something I, I want to jump in on what you said, Carson, because I think this is also a paradigm shift for people, right? You said liquidity is bandwidth, which is super interesting. So most people, when they think about like crypto bandwidth, they're, they're talking about maybe transactions per second or something like this. But like 
we on Bankless have talked a bit more about like something called economic bandwidth, right? And this fits this idea of liquidity as bank as bandwidth. And so what you're doing at, at Toka, uh, Tokamak, are you basically a, a bandwidth provider? Are you some sort of a, an ISP, I suppose? Web3 bandwidth, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's that's exactly it. It's a, it's a great way to put it. And that's exactly how we think about it. We think of this as infrastructure and, and really a liquidity utility. So if liquidity is is the new bandwidth, then what Tokamak is trying to usher in is the broadband moment for DeFi and really all of Web3 for that liquidity bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, put another way, we sort of think of multiple layers to the infrastructure to go a little deeper on this. You've got electricity, you've got the internet running on top of that, you have blockchains, including Ethereum running on top of that. And then on top of that, you need liquidity. Um, and that, of course, is doesn't just mean from Tokamak. Liquidity is a more generalized concept, but Tokamak is sort of one example of a broadband access to that liquidity. And the reason we think of all of those as infrastructure is just like on this call, if any of us drop if, if the battery in our in our uh, uh, laptop dies or if any of us drop Internet access, we drop from the call. Similarly, nothing works in DeFi with zero liquidity. And so that's why we think of it as infrastructure. It's a great take. I'm, I'm loving the metaphors. Big fan of the metaphors. All right, let's take this one to, uh, to Zeus. Zeus, what about DeFi 1.0 left cool stuff on the table that uh, Olympus was able to capture? Yeah, so just uh, real quick, I want to tag on to Carson's thing there. Like, Absolutely, go for it. I super strongly agree. I, my own saying is, uh, like, I, I think of it as liquidity rails of the new railroads. Um, you know, so this kind of crucial train, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transportational a system that you know is kind of required for this commerce within DeFi. Um, in terms of what 1.0 left behind, I, I think it's that they go for very high volume, low margin businesses. Um, so these are, you know, kind of, at least when we're thinking about the blue chips, it's, you know, very high capital, uh, like startup requirement. There's an actual phrase there that I'm blanking on. Um, you know, and kind of these low margin businesses, like if you look at Uniswap, they don't even take a fee. Sushi Swap, you know, it's basis points, um, you know, pretty much across the board. Same goes for lending pro- uh, protocols. And, you know, 2.0 is kind of this shift into, uh, you know, push into these more niche things that you can build on top of that, where you can take higher margins and kind of, you know, accrue more value um, because you don't need to build up and incentivize billions in liquidity or, um, you know, service uh, other users of your protocol that you know that have low margins as well and so they can't really afford if you're taking a higher fee um so yeah it's these like important products but you know they don't accrue a crazy amount of value back to the the protocol that facilitates them do you think that's going to be a trend moving forward where what we are building in DeFi trends towards higher and higher uh, margin uh just products um I mean, I, I see it as kind of what innovation brings in. So I feel like over like the the natural courses that margins trend towards zero or towards some uh, minimum viable margin at which point, you know, the protocol can't really sustain itself anymore and the activity dies off. Um, but that, you know, uh, existing products and ideas will mar- or kind of, uh, you know, merge towards that minimum viable margin and then you know innovation will always create higher margin businesses that then do the same fantastic all right scoopy you've been uh, patiently waiting scoopy what about DeFi 1.0 left money on the table that DeFi 2.0 was able to grab um for alchemics uh we just saw this opportunity because we saw all this yield being generated and we're like hey what can we do with with you know yield as a derivative 
And, um, you know, what we came up with was basically a way for you to uh, save your money and spend it at the same time with Alchemix. So you can just like keep all your, your principal uh, tokens like earning yield, and then you can borrow off of that and then have your yield pay off your debt. And that, that's something that we would need these, uh, you know, 1.0 primitives to make in order for Alchemix to work. And, you know, we were surprised like before Alchemix launched uh, in the months running up to it, uh, we were like, oh man, is somebody going to do this? Is somebody going to do this? Is this, is this Andre's credit? You know, why credit thing? You know, is it, is it this, is it that? And we, we were, that's why we were in stealth mode and <laughs> in such a hurry to launch because we thought somebody else would run with this idea before we did. Um, so I think it's just, uh, you know, we, we just saw, you know, the cool things that we could build uh, from the people, you know, all the DeFi 1.0 stuff. And then we, we took it and we ran with it and we, we needed, you know, an AMM like sushi stuff. We also need another AMM like Kerr for, for our stable assets. Um, and then we also needed yield aggregator. So we just had to, you know, kind of combine and compose, you know, what was out there in order to build what we wanted to build. Guys, this uh, this summit has already been super uh, mind expanding, mind blowing for me. A, a couple of takeaways: talking about DeFi 2.0 primarily servicing other DAOs is super interesting to me. DeFi 2.0 is being just a, a moment of time in time. This idea that liquidity is bandwidth. Uh, so, so much good insight is being dropped right now. And uh, if you are listening right now, make sure you hit subscribe on your notifications so that you can get more of these live streams in your inbox. You know about them first. So hit subscribe on YouTube right now. Guys, we are not done with this summit though. When we come back, we're going to be talking about DeFi 2.0, even a bit more broadly. In fact, the question of what's next, is there a DeFi 3.0 in store? Is that what's next? And what generally is the bull case for DeFi? What's all of this going to culminate in and what's it going to mean? So stay tuned for that. But for now, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield. And all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. 
Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Hey guys, we are back with our DeFi 2.0 Summit. This has already been an extraordinary conversation with our five panelists. We're going to get right to the meat of this discussion, starting with this question. I've been super curious about how this DeFi 2.0 trajectory we're on is going to shape the course of, of DeFi in the future. And also the question of what's next? Is there like a DeFi 3.0 in store? Um, where are we moving into and what are we evolving and what's coming down the, the, the pike? I want to start this question with uh, maybe Zeus, get, get some of your insights. I know with uh, Olympus Pro, you guys are have lots of conversations open with many different protocols. Um, what is happening in the DeFi 2.0 world? How is it changing the trajectory? And what's next? Is there a DeFi 3.0 that we should be looking forward to that's, that's coming on the horizon? Yeah. Um, so first, kind of touching on the last thing there, like I do just want to throw out that I'm not a big fan of the name. Um, I think that it means that we've kind of learned something from Apple, maybe um, when it comes to like, you know, branding and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't really see this as, you know, I feel like that inherently kind of uh, points to a fork or some kind of separation between, you know, this new cohort and the old one. Really, you know, we're standing on the shoulder of giants. Um, you know, we are leveraging our, our predecessors and, you know, using them for what they're meant to be. I, you know, it just kind of bumps me out in that I don't want them to, you know, feel like we're just kicking them to the curb and like, you know, y'all are irrelevant now. No, it's like you're still very relevant. Um, Can I just but, pause and ask the other panelists if they feel that way, too? So it's like we we didn't actually ask the question right. about like, do you like the name D DeFi 2.0? Because I'm not convinced that um, that I like it yet either. Right. But with memes it's not always the meme that you want to win. It's just the meme that, that sticks, right? Who, like, who on the panel likes the term DeFi 2.0 and who actually has some qualms with it? So Zeus said he had some qualms. Anyone else with some qualms on uh, the term DeFi 2.0? Patrick, you look like you want to speak. Yeah, I just think there's, there's there's no clear place where um, DeFi 1.0 has stopped and and DeFi 2.0 has begun. Um, Carson's characterization of a moment in time is probably somewhat apt, but I think there's characteristics in there that 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 we're seeing that weren't experienced a couple of years ago in the DeFi economy, um, particularly around around those ideas um, that we've discussed of DAOs and and social communities that are forming. Um, so I think there's some benefit to it, um, although there's no sort of end and start um, that you can say this is when we cross the barrier in my view any other thoughts on this panelists some yeah i mean i made the thread was a number of weeks ago about you know DeFi 2.0 i think that that started the meme uh or at least the, the branding of it um and i just kind of arbitrarily said that you know i before i was calling this gen 2 and just in that post, I just said uh, DeFi 2.0 and it kind of stuck. And I never wanted it to be like this dividing line between, you know, the OG protocols and, you know, the ones that came out in 2021. Um, you know, I just like it kind of took me a surprise that some people took offense to that, like as if we were trying to like, you know, you know, 
you know, kind of throw the, the OGs to the side, but that wasn't it. I think it's, is, you know, it's as much, uh, it's, it's as meaningful as saying something's a blue chip. It's just like a name that people subscribe to it and, that, and that's it. You get to actually look at each protocol, like, you know, you know, as an individual thing and not just try to lump it all together as, you know, blue chip or DeFi 2.0 or whatever. Yeah. Tyson, you have thoughts? I can quick, uh, yeah, chime in as well. Cause I'm probably, I, I really see both sides of this. I, I, again, I mentioned before that I think of it as a moment in time or, or meme here. And I think, uh, titles, whether rightly or wrongly um, acquired, can just be helpful to help people try to wrap their head around what's going on and, and categorize things. So I think insofar as it does that, it can be helpful. Um, but I think, uh, you know, myself and other people on here said earlier, and I agree with some of Zeus's sentiment as well, where like, none of this was meant in an irreverent way to the, the giants um, that were standing on, uh, the shoulders that were standing on of, of those giants. Because as I mentioned early on, like a lot of this stuff really isn't possible had those people not uh, those those innovators basically not built those. And those are just as critical a piece of the stack now. It, it's really just we have layer two of DeFi now, right? Being built on top of layer one. And you still need those things just as much. So, I think that's exactly right. I think the right mental model is uh, generations, right? I know uh, people that are born officially in the Zoomer generation that identifies millennials and also vice versa. And going back to, to what Pat was said, saying there is actually no clean line. It's just like, there's a bit of a vibe over here. There's a bit of a vibe over here. They're a little bit different. And then also exactly what Carson just said, one vibe was actually explicitly built because of the first vibe. Um, but everything is a little bit loose. Everything's a little bit nebulous. But we do need these names to actually talk about the things that we're trying to talk about, hence why we have landed on, on DeFi 2.0. But I think everyone here is in agreement that it's not, it's not one coming to delete the other. It's one building on top of the other. We yeah, all going to make it. It's, it, we're all going to make it. It's definitely not. Uh, it's definitely not tribal, and I'm not hearing that from any of any of the people, uh, you know, in this summit that one is one is better than the other. And and who knows how long this DeFi 2.0 meme will actually last, right? It'll be useful for a time, and I think it's been super useful as a mental model to just even to frame this conversation about what's new and what's unique about this new generation of of protocols. But will we still be talking about DeFi 2.0 in six months or or a year? Or are we going to just be talking about something entirely new and all of this DeFi stuff just smushes together? I guess it remains to be seen. Anyway, Zeus, we, we got a little sidetracked there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, though. That was My a bad. really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us more about the, I guess, how this changes the trajectory of things and then like what's next? Yeah. Um, you know, so one of the really cool things that I think can come of this is, you know, with the shift to, more b2b activity um you know one of the things that i see in DeFi is that you know as since we're we're so early in this you know no like cliche intended um you know it, it's still very just financial activity for the sake of financial activity um you know and constructing markets with not a lot of real world things going on uh behind it um you know it is interesting to see like nfts in that nfts are this like virtual real world um commodity type of activity um or like virtual real world world good if that makes sense um but i, I think that you know with this shift towards more b2b activity we we kind of enable uh real world funds to come into the DeFi economy um start to leverage you know the the capital uh, efficiency or you know innovation um, innovations that, you know, can benefit their business um, and start to utilize these for things that maybe don't have anything to really do with finance itself. 
um, you know, and start to utilize capital markets for what they're meant to be uh, used for, um, which is generally agnostic to the market functionality itself. Um, you know, if you look at TradFi, you know, it's, you have a lot of financial activity in this massive financial industry, um, but it's built around things that don't exist within that financial industry. Um, you know, I, I see that as, you know, one crucial to the long-term success of DeFi, um, but also probably the most exciting thing that we can look forward to, um, you know, as that proliferation start to occur. Jay, how does DeFi 2.0 shape the trajectory of, of DeFi? What, what does it unlock for us? What does it change? Yeah, I feel like we could talk about like mechanisms specifically in a lot of depth, right? Stuff like PCV, stuff like new tokenomics that's being explored. But at the end of the day, I think what what the biggest thing about DeFi 2.0 is, and I think Zeus is the one that brought this up in the beginning of the call, is community driven, right? It's it's like you are one with your community. And what that means is it's so much more exciting, right? Innovation is not only moving faster, but you're going to you're going to have products that are superior in every single way. So what does that mean for DeFi? It means a lot of different things. It means that one, this is going to be a really fun place to be working because you're just going to be working with a bunch of people that you like to hang out with. Two, it because of that, you're going to have better products and better better platforms for other people to build on top of and better platforms for even the TradFi bros to come in and start using one day. So I, I wouldn't look at it from necessarily a product point of view, but almost from like a um, like a community point of view and a perspective point of view. And the fact that DeFi 2.0 is here to excite things and to change things up and do go even a step further than DeFi 1.0 in many ways. Carson, what's your take? What's going to be the long-term impact here? What, what would you add? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because even though, you know, we talked about the pros and cons of DeFi 2.0, just again, to be... Um, to use it for its benefit, I'm going to talk about uh, DeFi 3.0 and 4.0 here for a second of just talking about what the next evolution of these are. I think that we will see a couple more cycles of this stuff that goes more DAO to DAO level and sort of seems to be retreating further into DeFi in a sense to outside users where like the power, uh, the power users, the power builders understand what this is unlocking on like a D to D, like DAO to DAO or protocol to protocol level. But, uh, you know, Main Street is still like, if they even hear about this, they'd be like, what's going on? Ultimately, this is because right now we're laying laying the foundations for, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but laying the foundations for the new Wall Street and the new Silicon Valley in one. Um, and what really is exciting is the next phases after that, which is um, if you think about Wall Street and Silicon Valley right now, right? there's a whole economy that is sort of built up around that that's much bigger than that actually, but that's enabled by that. We're building those layers right now. And the really exciting thing is the moment that, it, with that we sort of, um, come up for air from this sort of um, protocol to protocol moment and then go out to the world, basically. So once with the de- what I call the economy, the decentralized economy is there and you're starting to see glimmers of this with NFTs and the metaverse and gaming and GameFi. Um, but any of these things now where you're actually building on top of what DeFi 1.0, DeFi 2.0 and the next few layers are, eventually users are going to have no idea what's happening under the scene. In fact, a lot of the builders aren't going to even know, know what's happening sort of under the covers. It's going to be protocol to protocol. Um, uh, that that's using these things. And instead, um, the interactions back with humans um, are going to be at this much higher consumer level. If you guys are able to build out this protocol to protocol call infrastructure, this kind of this additional bandwidth, this liquidity, everything that you're building, it just kind of hits me that, man, our DAOs are going to be badass. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just saying, like, if you were uh, trying to start a, a corporation versus starting a DAO, 
how are you really going to have a chance? This, I think, is what you're talking about in, in terms of getting ready for mainstream. It's like by the time this is right right now, it's Dow to Dow, but it's mostly like DeFi Dow to D DeFi Dow, right? But but by the time this infrastructure is built out, there's going to be a massive competitive advantage to launching your capital pool, your entity, your business, your what your get whatever you're launching on DeFi rather than in the traditional world. Is, th is that a world we're moving to? Scoopy, uh, any, any thoughts on this? Scoopy, you're muted. Scoopy might have taken a break. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was muted. <laughs> I, I agree totally uh, with what you just said there. I think our DAOs are going to be badass. Um, uh, going forward, um, like uh, we have different ways of, you know, DAOs can like raise funds now um, and become powerful entities. I mean, you look at, the, you know, Olympus DAO and, you know, what they've been able to accomplish in not even a year. Um, and, you know, we're seeing also new waves and waves and waves of, you know, Olympus likes that are, that are, you know, spawning. And it, it's just like a, a giant moment of capital formation. And I think what's going to make the, the DAOs like supercharged compared to the corporations is that they're going to have like really awesome financial tools at their fingertips that they can use, you know, to manage their firms a, a lot better than they could with uh, the TradFi markets. Uh, like, for example, uh, like in Alchemix V2, we're, you know, shameless plug here, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be a lot more composable right now in V1. We, we lock down smart contracts uh, from interacting with it, but in V2, we're, we're not going to have that restriction. And then we, we definitely see like um, other DAOs as big customers for Alchemix, you know, if they have like, you know, a few million stable coins sitting around their treasury. They could put them in Alchemics and then take out a loan, right? And then they can use that, you know, they can spend, you know, from their treasury while still saving, you know, stuff like that. And I think that that's really cool. That, that'll just be one tool that DAOs can use uh, going forward. And, you know, I think, you know, everything that we're building now in the, the, the DAO to DAO services, business to business services are going to make it just that much more attractive to have a DAO in the future. Patrick, uh, round this out for us then. So we've been talking about how DeFi 2.0 changes the trajectory. And I don't know if you have any insights on that and also any insights on what's next. Like what is the next cohort of builders? What are they going to build? And I know of all the panelists, I believe um, you guys are probably furthest along on like layer two. I don't know if that's part of the story. Give us your thoughts here. Yeah, sure. So I think the, the trajectory of DeFi generally, whether it's 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 is, is somewhat inevitable um, in terms of just providing the foundations for future financial transactions. Um, how DeFi 2.0 is contributing to that, it's, it's probably accelerating that. Um, there's, there's extensibility with respect to the value that DeFi 2.0 is bringing to its users um, by enabling them to do just different things that 1.0, I suppose, didn't, didn't allow. Um, but I think one thing that hasn't been touched on is around Oracle infrastructure generally, uh, and how that will seep into um, what we now know and understand as, as DeFi. Um, I think the, the transaction costs required for the creation of new markets um, within the DeFi environment are so low that experimentation and, and, and so many new markets can emerge just simply based off of something like an Oracle price feed. Uh, so something we're particularly excited um, for with Tracer and excited to see um, DeFi get into is, is providing real world markets for people that operate within the economy on a day-to-day -day basis. So like we imagine a world where an Uber application, for example, has a hedge price of fuel button now, 
um, that's that's powered by a decentralized finance smart contract, and you've got an Oracle that's providing the the price of fuel. So that this Uber driver they can they can budget on a monthly basis for uh, for their their consumption of fuel. Um, particularly as well, I think Klimadao has has taken a really awesome step towards providing climate market infrastructure around around carbon um, markets that have traditionally been extremely um, expensive to create. There's, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. There's, there's a lot of plurilateral, like multinational agreements that, that need to be formed to create um, standard environmental markets. But, but now with um, secure Oracle infrastructure and reliable smart contract technology, if there's demand, these markets can be created and facilitated around things like water, around things like air, uh, markets that, that we haven't been able to properly define because property rights haven't, haven't really existed and the information or Oracle architecture hasn't been there. So I think that's, that's the, the part that we're really excited about. And uh, I think that's, that's the, the, the big bull case for DeFi is when it really starts hitting the world and, and we interact with it within our smartphone applications on a day-to-day basis. It's a fantastic reminder, Patrick, about why we are all here in DeFi. Sometimes we get caught up in the meme coins and the JPEGs and kind of forget that like, oh yeah, we are actually here to, to change the world and make the world a better place. So thank you for, for grounding us back into, into reality. And I want to I want to tie off this conversation with a, a little bit of a, a lightning round for everyone, both taking off the 2.0 hat, putting on the generalized DeFi hat at large, but also getting more granular into your specific projects as well. So this lightning round question will have two parts because the question is, what are you excited about? But I want you to, each one of you guys, to answer it twice. What are you excited about, about generalized DeFi? And then what about you? What are you excited about, about your specific project? So you get, you get, each of you gets to answer the question twice. One, you get to answer about your own project. One, you have to say something about the rest of DeFi. Uh, so let's go in reverse order. So Patrick, let's start with you. Uh, and you kind of actually just did this, but I'm going to give you a second chance to do this again. Patrick, what, uh, what about TracerDAO excites you? And then also, what about generalized DeFi also excites you in the moving forward into the 20s? Yeah, I think I didn't touch on the metaverse piece too much, um, but I think there's what what's getting built right now within DeFi uh, a lot around the property rights and and the financial market contracts that are being created are going to be applicable to metaverse circumstances. Um, so it's something we we like to imagine and, and think about um, within Tracer is how can risk management infrastructure be applied to something like the metaverse. Um, I played a bit of RuneScape uh, when I was growing up, and uh, remember like buying buying things such as God Swords and having like pretty fluctuating prices in in the RuneScape in-game economy. Um, we like to imagine that we can provide risk management infrastructure for people that want to hedge their in-game item risk uh, and and provide those types of tools that that sort of haven't previously existed that app developers that are creating these games can plug into to provide um, unique services to their users that 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 it's just they're plugging in code they're plugging in markets um, for people to, to interact with on a daily basis uh, so the the metaverse component is something we're particularly excited about seeing that bridge between what's currently getting built within DeFi and and how users are now interacting with these metaverse in-game economies. Very elegantly answering the question, two birds with one stone there. Nice job. Uh, Scoopy, what are you excited about for the future of Alchemix? And also, what are you excited about for greater DeFi? Yeah, I mean, uh, our version two is in audit right now. So I'm super pumped about getting our version two out, which is going to enable multi-collateral and multi-strategy AL assets, so AL USD, AL ETH. Um, we're gonna have LBTC and then some uh, a couple more surprises along the way. Uh, so building that out, 
um, you know, like whenever we're able to launch that and then building it out through all of next year is something that's really exciting uh, to me and my team. Um, and also other things we want to build on top of Alchemix uh, along with it. Um, and then what's exciting me in, you know, in the, in the DeFi space, in the crypto space overall, um, the thing that at least like, you know, tickles my imagination the most is uh, kind of like uh, GameFi, the uh, gaming economies and things like that. So like, you know, just as Patrick was talking about like RuneScape, yeah, I, I really want, you know, a dungeon crawler. I want an MMO like, you know, that's built, you know, the blockchain backend. And I want to have, you know, my sword and, you know, like that I earned, you know, in the game and then be able to sell it if I want to, you know, or buy someone else's sword. And I, I want that so much, you know, and to be, you know, built on blockchain rails. Um, so looking forward to seeing games who are, you know, and companies who are pushing in that direction. Um, you know, I know a lot of, you know, respect to Axie and what they've been able to build, um, you know, hugely respectful to them. Uh, excited for Alluvium as well. So it's sort of like a, a Pokemon game that's going to be coming out. Um, uh, so, you know, yeah, I think that sector is probably, you know, one of the most exciting ones uh, just because of the the potential of it in like, you know, I guess a metaverse con in context or just a play to earn context. I think it's just really cool. And Scooby, do you think De DeFi is like the, the banking layer of all of that, all of these in-game economies? Well, I, I definitely think that like, you know, like if we do have like a proper MMO game, you, you know, that's built on the blockchain, then you're going to have like banking services inside of it. Like you'll go to like an Ave kiosk inside of, you know, you know, the game or something like that. And I think that that would be really cool, you know, so you can have like, you know, player banks, I guess rare fuse would be better because you could actually make, uh, you know, like markets for, you know, swords as collaterals <laughs> and things like that. So, you know, I think that would be really cool. Crazy. Jay, let's turn to you. What about the future of, of Rari? It really, really excites you. And then also, what about the future of DeFi is also gets you going? Yeah. Um, for Rari specifically, I think it's it's this like idea of pursuing the maximum capital efficiency, which will take various different forms over the next few months, whether it be in onboarding new collateral types and really bringing in this idea of superfluid collateral, whether it is like setting limit orders for interest rates throughout Fuse, or even something as simple as a Fuse 2.0, which has greater capital efficiency. All of these things, just like in pursuit of building the most like the most efficient system, that's that's what excites me. Um, as for as for DeFi and zooming out from like from just Rari and zooming out to like what what are we actually doing here? I think what what's exciting is like I like just seeing new stuff, right? And what I'm like not just like boring new stuff, like new stuff that's DeFi and crypto native, right? I feel like everybody's still rebuilding the same stuff, forking the same stuff. There are very few projects that really catch my eye as something that's DeFi native. The first one, in fact, was Augur, right? And it's like now that we've built this way to transfer value, let's let's see what else we can let's see what we can do with it. That's not just like boring lending and borrowing, right? I think Ohm is another great example of this. Um, and there's so many, right? And it's just like, what's, what's some DeFi native crazy shit that we can do? Well, this is great because uh, Scoopy mentioned Rari and then you mentioned Ohm. So I'll just go ahead and turn to Zeus here. Zeus, what are you excited about with the future of Olympus? And then also, what are you excited about with the future of DeFi? Yeah, so, um, you know, we have this migration that is rapidly approaching. We're, we're finally, you know, 
it's, it's something not to to take lightly. And so we've spent a while, uh, you know, planning it, and we're we're finally, you know, getting close to wrapping up the audit and getting going on it, um, which has, you know, admittedly prevent or like posed as a bottleneck um, for some activities. So I'm super excited for that to clear up um, because uh, I think that you can expect to to see a lot come out of that. Um, so you know, including like you know, moving cross chain um, at long last, <laughs> um, that will be nice. Um, you know, we have these new bonds and with those, uh, you know, we enable like secondary markets for those bonds. I'm so excited to, to explore that. So, you know, liquid markets on those, um, you know, things like isolated, more strategic, um, you know, bond accumulation of assets. Um, so I know it was just proposed that we start accumulating CDX, um, you know, stuff kind of involved in how do we imbue Olympus with, you know, this influence, um, you know, to more effectively, uh, you know, tackle its goals. Um, and then with that kind of like, see, this is yet to be seen, but you know what I want to see, because if, if you're not familiar, we've had like, I think 70 forks in the past couple of weeks, um, some ridiculous number. And, you know, I, I kind of always expected that um, you know, that if we do well, um, we're going to get forked. What I really want to see come out of that is this industry of, okay, you're going to hear it here first. Uh, I call them decentralized backed, uh, decentralized backed. <laughs> I'm forgetting my analogy or my. Your metaphor. Yeah. Okay. Decentralized backed digital currencies, yes. AKA DBDCs. Yes. Um, <laughs> with, with this kind of idea that you know all of these forks call themselves a reserve currency i think that they're conflating reserve to be has reserves whereas reserve means is reserve so a reserve currency is something that's a, a reserve currency for other central banks and you know institutions um you know so obviously not everyone can be a reserve currency otherwise no one is a reserve currency um but with that we can kind of form this new like forex market of you know these dbdc's um, you know, that exist in DeFi and kind of can construct, uh, you know, a much more similar to, uh, you know, fiat currency system where, you know, they against each other are low volatility and low, or like high stability. Um, and through that, even if, you know, measured against USD, they're still not stable, you know, stability inward, you know, projects into stability outward. That's my expectation. So I, I'm, excited to see that play out maybe it doesn't happen maybe it does um but if it does i think it should be cool well so there's D, uh dbcds versus the cbdc's right <laughs> that just rolled yeah, right yeah, off right. the tongue <laughs> Zeus, you'll be happy to know that the youtube comments just blew up in forking jokes so ooh, i'm forking <laughs> <laughs> all right carson take us home man uh king of the metaphors so far on this summit uh what are you excited about with the future of tokamak and what are you excited about with the future of DeFi? Yeah, sounds good. I'll jump in. I don't know if I have metaphors here, but I think I've got some cool things to say. Sure. Um, so just building off um, um, Zeus, one thing I'm pretty excited about is um, linking together Olympus Pro Bonds as a Service with Tokamak Generalized Liquidity. I think there's some really inter interesting things we can unlock by pairing those things together. And in fact, Zeus and I have had some discussions uh, on that topic, so I'm excited to see what comes with that. Um, other few things, I'll just go rapid fire on this. We're excited to evolve Tokamak into what I call an any-to-any -any protocol, meaning we will take tokens as liquidity on any L2 or supported chain. And then the liquidity directors, the holders of, of a TOKA token can direct uh, that liquidity to any venue uh, on any chain. So we want to quickly sort of extend to any to any. 
Um, third is one that I won't say much on this call because we've been tight-lipped, but a lot's coming out shortly uh, about the, the membrane project. Uh, you'll be hearing a lot more about that in a few months here. And then uh, last thing with regard to Tokamak is one way to think about Tokamak is really um, something that transforms tokens into liquidity or idle tokens into liquidity. We are going to be in the near future expanding that to where we actually take ideas into liquidity and not start at the token. We want to go actually um, before something is even tokenized, we want to, which sounds probably crazy, but we actually have mechanics to do this where you would actually take ideas into liquidity. So we're excited to evolve there. Um, pulling back into sort of the space, I'm, I'm super bullish on uh, GameFi and um, Metaverse, whether you love or hate that term, um, and, and sort of everything that's going to evolve within that economy and liquidity integration from Tokamak and broad, more broadly DeFi into that space. Um, and I think just getting into what gets me excited about DeFi, I think we actually have a really interesting branding or rebranding opportunity in front of us in DeFi. Um, we've, of course, been calling DeFi decentralized finance. I think we should actually start adopting the term democratized finance. Um, I think that that is ultimately what makes this really exciting. As I think about what this will enable for individuals as this goes beyond sort of the few and goes out to the many, we can start unlocking uh, scale economics and exciting opportunities that were never uh, accessible to the individual. Uh, now that's going to be available for everyone. And I think one of my bold predictions here is that in 25 years, uh, DAOs will replace companies because companies cannot compete and also don't want to compete with DAOs. Wow. Fantastic. What a load of insights uh, to end with. Democratized finance, indeed. That is another uh, virtue and definition of DeFi and what we're all building towards panelists. I felt the collaboration. You guys talked about DeFi 2.0 being collaborative. The way you handed it off to one another, talked about building on each other's uh, projects. I feel like I saw the collaboration in real time. So um, The collaborator. We're not going to overuse that. Yeah, not at all. We've yeah, never. Not ever. At all. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we appreciate you guys being with us and everything that you're building in the space. So thank you. I was about to call you panelists again. Summiters, thank you for joining us on the first ever DeFi 2.0 Summit on Bankless. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bankless. Listeners, if you're still hanging with us, make sure you hit like and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, you're watching this, subscribe, like, so you get the notifications in the future. Of course, got to end with risks and disclaimers. All the protocols we talked about have some degree of risk. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. There is no free lunch, folks. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. 